Good morning, everybody. And I'll say it again uh, to all the moms in the house. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And today's your special day. And uh, for us guys, uh, just a little piece of advice from the video. Do not go name brand. Go her brand. You know, and uh, we could definitely relate. And I know there's some of you are here uh, with your moms. You don't normally come to our service, but you're here with your mom. And it's really great to have you. And thank you for supporting your mom. Uh, I know some of you brought your mom. Uh, and so today's their day. It's a special, it's a very special day that we all be together. So we're going to start off today. We're starting a brand new series called Christian. And we're going to be, you know, drilling this down for a few weeks. And we're going to start off with a, a word association. Okay, you ready? And you can follow along on the screen. Uh, we all know what an American is, right? Yeah, you can shake your head and agree. Okay, you know what an American is, right? We all know what an Egyptian is, right? Okay, we know what that is, right? We all know what a Canadian is, right? A, A. Know what a Canadian is? We all know what a comedian is. I'm not a comedian, but we know what a comedian is. Do you know what this is? Do you know? You know, if we were to sit a group and all split up into groups of ten and circle around and we were to go around person by person and Ask the question. So what do you say? Do you know that in that group of ten you'd get five different answers? Maybe eight. Because there's not a lot of clarity around this. And that's the reason why we're doing this, this series is because it's very important for us to understand what does this word mean? Really? And what we're going to find out is it's not clear. And so... I hope that uh, you'll you'll join us today. And, and, you know, what if somebody asked you on the street? Are you a Christian? You know, some of you would say, yeah. You know, some of you would say, what do you mean? Some would you say, yes, but some of you would say no, but right. But really, there's not a whole lot of clarity. And then how some of you became Christians. You know, some of you became Christians through a, a prayer. You prayed a prayer. Uh, some of you uh, through baptism. Uh, some of you may became a Christian when you were baptized, you know, at a very early age. You don't even remember. You were a baby, right? That's what they would tell you. Yeah, you were baptized. That's why you are a Christian. And you go, okay. And then some of you went through maybe what they call confirmation, Right? We went through a, a, a bunch of uh, studies. And some of you, what you were taught is, you know, our church or ours is the true brand, right? If you, if you were raised Catholic, uh, you know, you, you would say, you know, when they mention the church, oh yeah, that, that's us. We're the church. We're the oldest church. We're the original church. We're the original brand, right? Uh, or maybe you were, uh, you know, Protestant, you know, come from a Protestant, you were taught in a Protestant background. And you say, oh, yeah, they're not the church, we're the church. Or, or maybe uh, you were raised as a Baptist. 
and, and, you know, thinking that we're the church. And then, of course, you know, like me, I've spent many years in the Church of Christ, and, and we for sure knew we were the brand. Okay? We were the ones. You want to know how we knew we were the ones? Because we had church Sunday morning at 8.30. We had Bible school. Then after that, we had our worship service. Then after that, we got together and ate together. Then we came back to church again in the night. And then we had small groups on Tuesday or Friday. Then we had Wednesday midweek. You know, we all would get together and then we would have, you know, another devotional. If you were a college student, college students, we would have devotional on Friday night. I mean. Come on, all these other churches, they're not committed. They're not devoted. We were the true brand, right? At least that's what we thought, right? And then some of you would say, well, I was a Christian. I remember I went to youth camp and, uh, or, or I went to this, this revival and they told me this this scary car crash story, and I said this prayer, and I, 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 I gave myself to God, but, you know, in the last few years, the last number of years, uh, I, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not going to church. And then, and then some of you would say, you know, well, well, no, there's no such thing as was a Christian, because once a Christian, always a Christian. That's what some would say. That's what some were taught. Right. And then there's another group that would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yes, there is a was a Christian, because if you commit certain sins and you do certain things and you stay far from God from a certain amount of time. Yes, you are no longer a Christian. You were a Christian. You left. And yes, there is a was. And then some of you may remember when you were younger. And how you were raised and how you were taught. Maybe you were 16 and, and you went out to that party and you went with that, that girl who was not a Christian. Right? And you did some not so Christian things that night. And you were driving home that night five miles under the speed limit. Because you knew if you crashed your car and you died, hell was going to split wide open and suck you down. Right. So you got home and you got on your knees and you prayed, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you spent many years of your life wondering heaven, hell, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, because of the way you were taught. And some of you prayed this prayer, the prayer to become a Christian. And you've prayed it about a hundred times. You prayed it over and over, and it's kind of like Advil. It's kind of like Tylenol. You're waiting for it to kick in. You keep taking it, and you're waiting for it to kick in. Come on. I know this prayer is going to work soon, right? But for some people, it's all about what you believe, right? For other people, it's all how you behave. And so there's this big tension, you know, Is it what you believe? Is it how you behave? Believe, behave, believe, behave. Right? But the interesting thing is that a term that we hear so much and we associate ourselves with that term, there's so many different views. That's my point here. How can there be so many different views of what we would think is the same thing? Christian, right? 
Are you with me so far? Moms, are you with me? Because you're the only one that counts today. Okay, everybody else is just here for, for show. But how, how is that? There's so many different views. Now, then there's another group of you. And I want to talk to you today, and maybe you're online. I hate Christians. I don't want anything to do with Christians. In fact, I got bribed to come here. I'm here because I want to eat lunch with my mom. Right? But if we asked you, and you wouldn't say it, but if we, you know, off to the side, hey, so tell me what you really feel about Christianity. I hate it. I have a, a definition that you kind of associate with, with what you define as a Christian. A Christian is a judgmental, homophobic, moralist who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Can I get an amen from you in the audience that believe this? And you hate Christians. You hate Christianity for that reason, because that's what you've experienced. That's what you've seen. That's your perception. And, you know, those of us who have associated ourselves with Christians or think we're Christians, we got to own that. What do they see? What does this world see in us? And for many years, this is what they see. This is what they've seen. And so today I, I want to try to, you know, come to some common ground here. The good news is none of what we've just talked about is described in the Bible as what a Christian is. What? Are you kidding? Yeah, it's not, it's not in the Bible. None of what we just talked about is described in the Bible as what a Christian is. The bad news is everything that you've been taught, most of you have been taught about being a Christian is wrong. Really? Now, I know you're hearing this and you're going, no, that can't be true. I've got to go make an appointment with my priest or, or my real pastor, because some of you don't even think I'm a real pastor. Now you're just saying, oh, yeah, you're just some guy. I got to go check this out. I got to go because he said, and I'm not sure if this is true. G give me a minute. And you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Christian. Christianity. You know, the truth of the matter, it only appears in the Bible three times. Three times. And I'm going to show you where in a minute. But it's not really defined what it is, what Christian is, what Christianity is. It's not defined. There's no, there's no, this is the description of a Christian. Maybe that makes sense. And the reality of it is it was a derogatory name used by outsiders to describe insiders. I'll give you some examples. Geek. You know, if you were to call somebody a geek, a deadhead, you know, the, remember that the, some of you don't even know idea. The Grateful Dead, you know, when they were way, way back, you know, some of you remember the deadheads. That, one, that didn't start out as an endearing term, you know. It did, oh, you're a deadhead, you know. That's a weird band, Ugh, you know. 
I mean, those people are weird. They're freaky. Or a dweeb. You know, in school, you guys can relate, right? When you see somebody in school, he's a dweeb, he's a geek. Now, now they've got a whole department at, at Best Buy called the Geek Squad. Come in with their tie and we go like, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. He's a geek. Can, geek, can you come to my house and fix my stuff? See how things change? But it didn't start out as, an, as a positive thing. Same thing with Christian. In fact, these don't even come close to how negative the word Christian was intended to be. In fact, I, I can't even use a word that was kind of associated with Christian because some of you would be insulted. Or you'd be offended. See, Christian was a bad word. And we're going to look at the manuscripts of the book of Acts. It's, it's not really a book. It's a, it's a history. It's a recording by Dr. Luke. He, he described the, the history of the church after Jesus died and was raised. A persecution broke out some years in Acts chapter 8, some years after the church had started. The church in Jerusalem basically exploded. And then a persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And they, they murdered a number of the Christians. They murdered one in particular, stoned him, Stephen. And then it was crazy. Everybody went everywhere. And some of these Christians that fled Jerusalem went as far as a place which we would know and identify with modern day Turkey. To a city called Antioch. And they started sharing the story, the, the testimony, their testimony. Hey, listen, back in Jerusalem, there was a man named Jesus. He performed incredible miracles. I saw the miracles. I saw a guy who was blind who began to see he was born blind. I saw a person who, who couldn't walk. They walked. I saw him raised from the dead. In fact, there's a group of followers back in Jerusalem, that they were with him for three years. And one of the followers is James, his brother. That's probably one of our strongest evidences that Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, what would you have to do to prove to your brother that you're the Son of God? I mean, if that doesn't convince you, if he's convinced, anybody should be convinced. And so the church exploded. And the followers of Jesus were spread out over a large area. And Antioch was a Greek city. Not a lot of Jews there. And so they started speaking to the Greeks. And they started telling them about Jesus. Telling them about this, this incredible transformation that you can have by following Jesus. It will change your whole life. You can get the forgiveness of your sins. All of them. And you can get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what happened in Antioch... The word spread. So many people were turning to God. It was an explosion. It was a spiritual revival. And they got word of it in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they heard, wow, something amazing is happening in Antioch. We've got to send some people. So they chose Barnabas and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And Barnabas got there. He's blown away. He's like, wow, this, this thing is out of control. I need reinforcements. I need help. So he went and got the super disciple, the super follower of Jesus. He got Saul. Do you know what city Saul was from? No, that's where he was converted. Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. Yep, somebody's been studying their Bible here in the group. He, he was from Tarsus. So Barnabas went to Tarsus, got Paul, and then, then this was, we're going to pick it up right here. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who then became 
Paul, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. And when he found him, he said, come on, man, let's go to Antioch. It's crazy. These people are open. They want to know God. And so he brought him to Antioch. Verse 26. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Can you imagine that? Thousands of people coming to God, giving their life to God, turning it over, becoming the followers of Jesus. I mean, leaving some really dark stuff, getting their marriages back together, getting their families back together, changing their lives. What an amazing thing. And then we pick it up here and it says here, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Who were they called Christians by? People on the outside. People on the outside describe them on the inside. Those little Christians, those little Christ, who do they think they are? And that's where they came up with this name. Little Christ. Little posers. Little imitators. And there wasn't a very good feeling because they were teaching some radical change in lies. You know, they used to do a lot of idol worship in these cities. And Paul and Barnabas thought, no, that's not who you should worship. You don't worship a table, a chair, a stone. You worship God. And we're also going to look at another historian, a Roman historian. His name is Cornelius Tacitus. And he wrote for a period of time in Rome. And he's, he's not a Christian. He wasn't a follower uh, of Jesus. He was a Roman historian. And he covered about four to five Roman emperors. One in particular that he covered, that he wrote about, is a very famous emperor. He's famous because of Tacitus, and his name was Nero. You know, Nero wanted to rebuild the city. He didn't like Rome. He wanted to rebuild it. And so he burned the old part down. And do you know he blamed for the burning of the city? How do you know that? Tacitus. Tacitus is how you know that. He's the one who recorded it. He's the one that opened it up, you know, opened it up that Nero was scandalous. And look what he wrote. Tacitus. This is a quote from his historical writings. Consequently, to get rid of the report, meaning the misnomer about that he started the fires, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. How did people feel about Christians? How did the Roman people feel about Christians? Hated them. And so Nero said, hey, it'd be real easy. Everybody hates them anyway. Let's just put the blame on them. And their abominations were as when they celebrate the communion. The outsiders looked at their communion. Not as we look at it, that we're remembering Jesus. They looked at it as they're eating his body and drinking his blood. They're like, man, that's 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 terrible. They were called Christians by who? The populace. This is Tacitus describing where the name came from. He goes on to write, Christus, meaning Jesus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. Tiberius was the emperor at that time in 33 A.D. At the hands of our pure, pure our Procurator Pontius Pilate. 
another evidence by non-Christian historian telling the story that, yes, Jesus did walk the earth. Yes, Jesus did die. And yes, things did happen as the Gospels described them. Christian. The word was used by outsiders to describe those on the inside, those that followed Jesus. The truth of the matter is, Christian's not defined. It's not. That's why there's so many facets of Christianity. There's knockoff Christianity. There's spinoff Christianity. There's hundreds and hundreds of denominations in our country, even in this area. Why so many? Why so many differences? And you know this. Have you ever walked up to somebody and, and said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you look at them and you get to know them a little bit. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, too. And you don't say it, but you think it and you go, there's no way you're a Christian. Because you look at the way they act and the way they live, the way they talk, and you go, there's no way they're a Christian. But I got news for you. Yes, they are. You know why? Because it's not defined. Basically, anybody can be a Christian. Anybody can. You could do anything and be a Christian. And that's why in our society, there's Christians on both sides of almost every issue. You've got Republican Christians, conservative Christians, you've got Democratic Christians, you've got in the middle, you've got all in between on all issues. There are Christians on both sides. And you go, how can that be? Because it's not defined. You can believe and do just about anything you want. And say anything you want. And be a Christian. Because you really can't go back to the Bible and say, this is what Christian means, is. You've got to stretch it and pull it and turn it together. Because it's only there three times. And as we've seen, it was a, a very negative term. It appears in the New Testament three times. Here are the three scriptures. Acts chapter 11 that we saw in verse 26. Then there's another time, Acts chapter 26, where Paul is giving his testimony to Festus, and, and he's, he's talking to him, and, and, and the king goes back to him and says, Hey, do you think you can turn me into being a Christian in such a short amount of time? And he didn't mean it in an endearing term. I'm not going to be one of your followers after one quick lesson. And then in First Peter, as he was describing the persecution and how people were labeled Christians. But there is a term that was used very, very, very frequently in the New Testament. It's a terrifying word. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable today. For the moms in the house, I'm sorry. But this is really important for the long run. Why, why is it so terrifying? Why? Because you can't hide behind it. It's out there. Here's the word. Disciple. See, over 200 times this word is used in the New Testament. And let me tell you, the description 
is very, very, very clear. I mean, blow away clear. Careful with your amen. Okay? Careful because when we go through the lessons in the coming weeks, you're going to go, hmm, I better think about this. I want to be a disciple. But I got to change some things. Disciple, it's so clear. And the reason why it's so terrifying is because it clearly defines, it's clearly defined in the New Testament. You know, you can hide behind Christian. You can get right behind it. No problem. Can't hide behind disciple. Can't. Even its word. Even the very word, what it, what it means and what it says. You know, you can go to war in the name of Christianity. In fact, many of our wars in the history of humanity have been, you know, brought about by Christianity. But if you look at the word disciple, it will challenge every part of your life. But it can change every part of your life. Back to that verse in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says the disciples were first called Christian at Antioch. The disciples. That's who they were first. And if you ask the followers, if you went up to a disciple and you said, Hey, what do you call yourselves? Would they say Christian? No. They would say disciples. Let me give you some examples. But before, here's what a disciple is. Just just a definition out of the dictionary. Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, adherent, or a follower. That's pretty clear, isn't it? A disciple does this, says this. I'm trying to make a decision about my life. How would you handle this? Speaking to his teacher, speaking to his mentor. What would you advise me to do? How should I manage this? And who is the teacher? Who is the mentor? Jesus. A disciple's mindset. I'm trying to understand how to respond to this situation. You know, people have hurt me. People have done me wrong. I'm trying to understand how can I respond? Do I get back at them? What do I do? How do I handle this situation? They ask the question. How would you respond, Jesus? What, what would you do? What would you do if you were me? And they would ask, where are you going? Where do you want me to go? And, and there's an implied, humble, hungry, thirsty spirit. Show me what to do. Teach me. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be more like you. I want to do what you do. I want to love the way you love. And show me how to live my life in every area, in everything. I want to know. And you know, a disciple's mindset is, even before you give me the answer, the answer is yes. 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 
I'll do it. Why? Because I've already signed on. I'm already all in. Because I'm a disciple. I follow you. And this is what I'm willing to do. What do you think I should do? How do you think I should interact? That's very different from Christian, isn't it? And it's hard to dodge the word disciple, isn't it? I kind of, you, you kind of, some of you may kind of slide back in your seat a little bit, kind of shrink down. I understand. I feel the same way. That's why we need this series. Because Christian is arbitrary. It's extremely arbitrary. Let's look at a couple of examples. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. This was early on. What did they call them in Jerusalem? The followers of Jesus, the following of Jesus. They call them disciples. And then Acts chapter 9, verse 26 when he came to Jerusalem, this is the description of Paul. See, because Paul was a, Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was killing, imprisoning Christians. And so when he came to Jerusalem after his conversion, after his decision to follow Jesus, he tried to join the disciples, the group, the church, the community. He tried to join in, right? What did they call it? A group of disciples. But they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. See, they thought he was he was trying to get undercover. He was a double agent for the Jewish Pharisees. Again, what did they call themselves? And now this will encourage some of the women in the house. There were disciplettes. Isn't that cool? There was even disciples. You, you could be a woman and be a disciple. Isn't that good? Yeah. In Joppa, there was a disciple. Her name was named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Now, you can see why she changed her name, right? (laughs) Who was always doing good and helping the poor. She was a disciplette. That's pretty cool, right? Even women. Okay, so, so far in the series, point. We can hide behind the word Christian. Anybody can. But you look at the word in the New Testament and ask the question, what were these people really about? Those that followed Jesus. How did they describe themselves? Which brings us to this terrifying question. Are you ready? Are we disciples? Are we disciples? careful before you answer that one too quickly. Are we disciples? Or are we just Christians? Think about it. And Jesus, he addresses and he he really drills down. And so we're starting out big first. Then we're going to get more specific as the series goes on. But today we're going to really focus on what was Jesus's primary, 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 big teaching, big lesson. He's near the end of his ministry. And he says, there's guys. He pulls together the guys. Judas had already left had betrayed him, took the money and ran. Right. And there's just 11. And so the 11 are there and it's, it, Jesus knows his time is short. And they're there together at the Last Supper. And he sits down with them and says, OK, guys, there's one thing. 
You know, kind of like a father would sit down with his son before his son is leaving for college or leaving to go off and start his own life. He said, "Okay, son, there's one thing. I mean, three things. What, honey? Your mom said there's there's five, six things that we've got to go through with you. Okay, six things. Kind of like that. Jesus says, there's one thing. If you're going to follow me. This is what you got to do. It's not a new teaching. In fact, some of you have heard this. But, you know, if we could have got this teaching right, we would have avoided World War I in our world. There would have been no World War II. The Civil War would have never happened. Slavery would have been gone a long, long time before, been done away with. And there would be no need for a civil rights movement. Never would have needed it. If we could have just got this teaching right. This one thing that Jesus left behind. And if the follower of Christ today, if today, if we could get this right. And I'm not even saying you've got to know the Ten Commandments. You've got to know the whole New Testament. I'm just saying this one, one teaching is a game changer. If we'll do this one thing. And that's why Jesus emphasized it at the end of his ministry. So he pulls his guys together. And he talks to them. In John chapter 13, verse 33. And he starts out, he gives this introduction. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You'll look for me just as I told you, just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now where I am going You cannot come. Now, Peter's in the group, and this creates an incredible tension. Peter's like, what? Where are you going, Jesus? I got to go. Where you go, I go. And so Peter's like, he's he's locked on with this thing. He says, Peter, wait, listen. I'm, I'm trying to teach you this is important. Verse 34. A new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this isn't a new teaching, love one another. This this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. But what makes this totally different is because Jesus lived this out. And he says this, as I have loved you, that's what you have to do with each other. And then he goes on to say in verse 35, by this, by this, people are going to know who you are. This will define you to the outsiders. This is how they're going to know what you are, what you follow, who you are. And this will draw them to you. This will attract them to you and your community. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And then he goes through and goes offline and says, Matthew, do you remember when we first met? Remember what you were doing when we first met? And Matthew drops his head. Yeah. I was a tax collector. I was a traitor to the whole nation of 
Israel. Peter, do you remember when we first met Matthew? Peter goes, hmm. Yeah, I remember. Matthew, you remember how we treated you? Hey, guys, do you remember where we went after we met Matthew? Oh, yeah, man, I completely remember that. We went, to, we went to that place with all those bad people. You know, those same people that Mama told me not to go and hang around with my whole life. You, Jesus, you took us into that bad party. Said, yeah, but you remember the impact that we had on all those people that were separated from God? Remember how you guys had such a struggle and how you would interact with Matthew and how long it took for you to embrace him, how long it took for you to accept him as one of the guys. You remember that? And do you remember how quickly I accepted him and how I pulled you guys together? Do you remember? Nathaniel, do you remember the day we met? Now, a lot of you other disciples, you, you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you. I'm going I'm to open this up so you guys understand what Nathaniel did the first day that I met him. And then Nathaniel drops his head. He says, Nathaniel, remember that day that you were met by Philip and Philip said, come on, we've, we've, met, the, we've met the Messiah. Remember what you said to Philip? Nothing good can come. Can there be anything good? That comes out of Nazareth. Anything? I mean, Nathaniel, you dissed my whole family. My hometown. You trashed my whole hometown. How did I treat you that day? I loved you. And I gave you vision. But you're going to see amazing things, Nathaniel. And then he pulled all of them together and said, You, you remember the vampire sermon? Remember that one where I told the crowd to drink my blood, eat my flesh? Remember, they didn't understand it. And people, people got up and walked out. They were leaving in droves. Remember that? Remember how it was? Remember that each and every one of you, every one of you wanted to leave that day. No exception. You all wanted to go. Remember how I treated you after that day? That's how I want you to treat each other from here forward. That's the bar of a disciple. By this, by this, men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So how's it going? You know, the amazing thing is, Peter comes back after that whole sermon and he asks, you know, after all that, Jesus, he asks me, Jesus, so where are you going? What are you doing? What, what, where are you? You can read it later, but the verses he's asking, where are you going? I'm, I, if you leave, I go. Does Andrew get to go? Because if he goes, I go. I'm ready to die for you, Lord. Jesus settles him down and says, Peter, in a few hours... You're going to be intimidated by a middle school girl. 
You ready to die for me? Maybe one day. But I'm not asking you to die for me. What I'm asking you to do is much harder. I'm asking you to live for me. I'm not asking you to die for me. I'm asking you to live for me. I'm asking you not to be a martyr and go to, go to the Middle East. I'm asking you to stay here in the United States of America and West Covina and love your brother. Like I did. I'm asking you to love your community. I'm asking you to set aside time from your busy schedule to help people who have no idea of what Christian is or means or disciple means, have no idea of what's written in this book and are lost and are destroying their marriage and their family. Their lives are coming apart. I'm asking you to love them the way I loved you. That's a disciple. And I want you guys to build a community of this kind of love all over the world. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want to happen. And you and I get to be a part of that. But it's challenging. Because you can't face paint disciple. You can face paint Christian. You can't face paint disciple because disciple, one way, sooner or later, it's going to come out who you are on the inside, how you love people on the outside. And, and when this happened, it's amazing. In the first century, you can read about it. People were watching the Christians. They were watching them. And they said this, look at them love. Look at how they treat their women. Look at how they treat women. And some of you women here in the house, you don't even understand how it was then. How women were treated then. They were treated as a commodity. They were, there was no Mother's Day. There was no special day. You stand five feet behind me and you're my, you're my, you're my property. And when I want your opinion, I'll ask you. They treated women horrible. But in the church... In the church, they loved the women. The women, this is revolutionary. Women were treated with love and respect. And when they taught about marriage, they taught how, how husband should love his wife, not mistreat her, but love her, serve her. And look at how women treat men, how they respect them. There's no edge, there's no hardness, there's love, there's forgiveness. There's loyalty. There's, there's, I'm by your side no matter what. Look at how they treat widows. Look at how they treat children. And some of you younger people, you don't realize until you turn like 20, you're, you're just like, get out of here. There's no time for you. You're just a kid. Be quiet. There was a phrase that my mom told me back in her generation. This is how it was way, 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 way back. Children should be seen, not heard. Remember that? That carried on for a long, long time. Not in the church. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Like our children, our kingdom kids teachers, they, they come here early in the morning. And they said, let the children come to Jesus. Let's take time out of our busy Sunday morning. Get here early. 
for church way before everybody else. Let's get here early. Let's serve them. Let's help them because they get a chance to know God as well. Look at how they treat sick people. You realize that in the second century and, and later that Christians weren't afraid to interact and treat the sick? Leopards? Contagiously sick people? They would walk up and they would, they would treat them. They would, they would treat them like human beings, not as, as objects. And the way they treated the poor? Whole churches were built helping poor people. Look at they do with their, what they do with their money. This is what people on the outside were looking in. They were saying, this is crazy. Look at how much they're, they're pouring into each other. Look how much they're pouring into the community. Look how much they're helping of other people. They're leveraging their wealth. They're not consuming for themselves. They're trying to use their resources to help the community, to help other people. They gave. They didn't take. And look how they face persecution and even death. This was probably the turning point in Rome. You realize that this, this is what conquered the most powerful empire in the world at that time. They didn't have a sword. They didn't have an army. They didn't have a shield. And they toppled Rome. Because of the way they died. They looked at life and they said, this is just temporary. I'm only here for a short amount of time. I'm looking for something else. I'm not here for this. I'm here for something else. This is a prelude. I want that. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in heaven forever. And Jesus opened the gateway. It wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't a story tale for them. It was real. They lived in a spiritual realm. And they believed in the spiritual realm. And they were a model for the world. And that's how Christianity spread like wildfire. So today, in conclusion, we want to begin a rebranding campaign here in our church. Let me just tell you, I I need this. We need this. We, we don't need to redefine Christianity. It's already, it, it's, it's, already, it's already way, way off. What we need to do is follow what's already defined in the Bible. And some of you say, well, we're going to change the name. We're no longer going to call ourselves Christians. We're going to call ourselves disciples. No, just do it. It's not about names. It's not about labels. Well, I'm a disciple. See, that just starts the whole cycle, Okay. Do it. Live it. People will know who you are by how you live. You don't have to go around and tell everyone, well, I belong to this church and I believe this and I'm this. You don't have to tell anybody. Just tell them, tell them what you follow and who you follow and demonstrate that by your love. Will you love the unlovable? Like Jesus. You know, one of the things that I'm so proud of our church is, is that we're not afraid to roll up our sleeves and get involved in people's lives. But I believe there's a lot of us in the church right now, we've never experienced that. You've not done that. And if you've done it, you've done it a long, long time ago. Who are you really, who are you, who are you rolling up your sleeves with trying to help get to know God? Teaching them to 
to pray, teaching them how to understand what the Bible says. This isn't hands-off Christianity or hands-off discipleship. This isn't hands-off love. It's hands-on love. It's face-to-face, eye-to-eye. I want to share with you about a story of Brenda Brewington. You can read about it May 3rd. She's a disciple, member of the church in the Greater Baltimore Church of Christ. She worked at another church distributing food for the poor. And her husband is a follower of Jesus. And her two children, 20 and 23, are followers of Jesus. She went to work that day and one of the guys that she gave food to on a regular basis, a homeless guy, came in with a gun, shot her and shot the minister. She died on the spot. May 3rd. Minister died May 5th. For Tyler and Chris, her sons, today, his first Mother's Day without mom. But all that could be said about Brenda in the funeral, and I spoke to the minister who delivered the, he's a friend of mine, in the Greater Baltimore Church of Christ. He said, All that could be said about Brenda is look at how she loved. And the church has already began the process of healing, not hate. Healing, forgiving, and remembering we follow Jesus. You know, today on the newsletter, their names are on the prayer list. Please please pray for them. For Will, her husband, Tyler and Chris. Brewington. What a tragedy. But how is she going to be remembered? Look at how she loved That's a disciple. She will be remembered as a disciple, a follower of Christ. And are you ready to engage with each other in our community? I'm not talking about, you know, side by side on a Sunday. I'm saying, have you seen each other during the week? Have you talked with each other? Is there contact? Is there relationships? Some of you don't have any interactions with, with, with other disciples during the week. You're not present. This is, this is a club. Who knows what you're doing and who you're, what you're living like? And you know you're separated. You know you're out there. You're doing your own thing. You're Frank Sinatra. My way. You see, when you come here and you live among disciples, as I do, I get exposed. Am I following Jesus? And sometimes I see I'm not following him the way I need to. And I come full circle. That's why I love the fellowship, because it's it's autocorrect, autocorrect, autocorrect all the time. And in conclusion, for you group of people that have this ideology, I hate Christians. I hate Christianity. You know, I, I, I don't know what you've lived. I don't know how your dad treated your mom under the name of Christian. I don't know what you've seen in church life. But let me say this. 
Don't let what somebody did separate you from Jesus. Don't let them and that whole dysfunction. And, and I got to take some responsibility. There's been times in my life where these maybe have characterized my life. Judgmental, homophobic, moralist, think they're the only ones going to heaven. Whoa, 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 whoa. If this describes you or us. No. In fact, from the 18 to 35 year olds, that generation, this is what pushes people away from Christianity. You know what? You know what this generation needs? All these children of divorced parents, of technology, no relationships, everything is distant, everything's, you know, kind of in your head, not in your heart. And all the pain that comes from a, a separated family. You know what this generation needs? They don't need truth wars. Some of us have been involved in truth wars. We want to sit down and argue. Okay, let's look it at the Bible. And let's, let's hash this out. This is the truth. This is not the truth. They don't need truth wars. You know what they need? You know what this younger generation needs? They need to see love. That's what they need. They need to see love in us. They don't need to see truth wars. And so today, I want us to rid our lives of these things that people hate. And that we'll have a compassion and a love. And if, you, if this is you, I want to encourage you, come back next week. Come back next week and listen to what Christian isn't and what following Jesus is. So you can get on the right track. And I promise you. In fact, Jesus promises you. It will fill your life. As he promised, he said, I came so that they may have life and have it to the full. I've been at this 27 years. And I'm still learning so much about what it means to follow Jesus. I'm still asking for forgiveness. God, I don't know what it means to love the way you loved. Help me. Help us as a church. I want to be a disciple. And let's put aside that misnomer, Christian. Now, you don't have to change the name, but just knowing the, the essence of what it means. Right now, we're going to celebrate the communion. And this was something they did in the first century to remember the price that was paid so that we could follow Jesus. You see, it wasn't possible. All the change in the world, all the belief in the world, if you didn't get forgiveness, there was no way. But because Jesus died, open access to all who turned themselves in. Let's pray for the communion. Father, I really, really want to pray that you'll help us, God, to turn ourselves in. I pray for our friends, God, that are here with us today who have been hurt by Christians. Who've been let down by Christians. The truth is, God, we can't even live up to our own standards, much less the standards of somebody else. Help us to be humble. And face the fact we can't live up to what we expect 
Only by your love and forgiveness can we even attempt to grow and change. Thank you that Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. Thank you that he believed in us when we didn't even believe in ourselves. Thank you that he died for every one of our sins. We ask you, God, to wash away every single one of those sins and help us to begin our our rebranding of what it means to follow Jesus. To love as he loved. Please bless this communion and give us this new start. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.